Now, unfortunately, maybe you're excited about this. I'm personally not, but it's the last week of our Storyteller Sermon Series. And if you've been with us throughout the summer, we've been looking at different parables of Jesus. These, these stories, these teachings that he used where he took sort of a heavenly principle and he would bring that alongside an earthly reality, sort of a, a common earthly item or event to unpack aspects of what the kingdom of God is like and, and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we find ourselves today at the final parable we're going to look at. And, and it's a short one. It, it's not the shortest one. The shortest parable actually is only one verse. Now, this is pretty close. It's actually just two verses. Uh, and if you want to find it in your Bibles, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13 today. If you have that with you, please feel free to open to it. If you have the online sermon notes, it'll be right in there for you. If you need a pew Bible, it's on page 788. Now, because it's only two verses, there's some controversy here. Some people say that it's actually not really a parable per se. It's more of a saying of Jesus, this short two-verse saying of Jesus. We're going to look at that and continue to some verses beyond it as well today. But in keeping with the theme of the storyteller, uh, for those who perhaps don't think it's a parable, allow me to narrate a little bit what Jesus was trying to communicate in these two verses. And I want to narrate this for us in the, st in the style and the fashion of one of those choose-your-own-adventure books. Remember those from back in the 80s and 90s? I don't think they're in print anymore. Uh, kids' books where you would read the first couple of pages and then the story would advance to a point where you found yourself in a moment of decision. And then you as the reader would assume the role of the protagonist and you would have to decide, do, do I go this direction or do I go this direction? And then you would choose the plot of which the book unfolded. For example, you'd be walking down a path and you'd think, do I go investigate the cave over here? Well, if so, turn to page 13. If, if you want to continue down the trail, turn to page 34. Do I want to open the door and investigate the scary noise? Or do I want to run out the door and go the other direction? Do I want to call the cops on the thieves over there breaking into that car? Or do I want to take matters into my own hands and let lefty and righty deal with the problem? The choice is yours. You get to choose your own adventure. So picture yourself in this scene. In one direction, as you walk along, there's this wide opening that beckons to you. As you look at it, you see that tacked upon every single inch of this archway is alluring advertisements that promise wealth, power, happiness. It appears simple enough. There doesn't seem to be anything to pay. There's no toll. The, the road is wide enough that you can easily maneuver along your path. The road looks enticing. Along the way, there are hordes of people. There's, there's places, there's things that, that, that presume to offer all the paraphernalia that make life comfortable, uncomplicated, and appealing to you. It must be okay. Look at the hordes of people that are choosing to go through that direction. There's just one thing. As you look, it appears that there's happiness and they're enjoying themselves out there, but you can't quite see beyond the bend. And so you wonder, what happens once you've journeyed further down and you get over the horizon? Now, the sense of unknown sets off the silent alarm within your mind, and so you examine the other choice that is before you. The gate in the other direction is not nearly so large. In fact, it's quite small. The gate has not become a billboard for every whim of society, but it does stand open. 
There's simply one word branded across the top of the structure, life. As you stand there pondering this one-word invitation, you realize that the road beyond the gate is narrow. It's, it's not nearly as spacious as the other option. It's not as nearly as easy to navigate. You can see people beyond the entrance, and not as many, but they, they wear this expression of happiness, or no, perhaps it's more like contentment. See, there's no people along the way that are haggling, panhandling goods as you, as you go through the tight byway. Instead, they're, they're leaning close to each other. It seems like they, they, actually, they know each other. It, it seems like they're sharing, laughing, supporting, joyfully conversing about something. You can't quite make out what it is that they're, that they're being drawn together by, but there's something there. And so you stand at a crossroads. Which way will you go? Some of you will recognize that this choose-your-own-adventure passage is one of Jesus' well-known teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. This passage, this teaching he gave us, he was sitting on a hill, and, and, and there were thousands of people who were listening to him, just enthralled with the teachings that were coming from him as he revealed to them what the kingdom of God is like. As he revealed what it looks like to live your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and he presents the audience with a choice. All these thousands who are listening to him. He presents them with a choice as he starts to move towards the end of the teaching. He says, ladies and gentlemen, before you stand two gates. Before you are two paths. There are two types of leaders who will help you on the journey down those paths. There are two types of people who will choose to walk these paths. You see, whether you are at a point of being curious and investigating the things of Jesus, if you are a new follower of Jesus, or, or perhaps you've been in the church for many, many years and you're a leader here, or somewhere in between those points, the same choice is placed before all of us, especially as we enter into a new fall season here. So what will it be? Will it be the way of Jesus or the way of the world? Because the choice is yours. You are completely free to choose your own adventure. But choose carefully. Because, you see, each path leads to its own destination. So, your adventure begins at this crossroads. Before you are two paths and two gates. One is wide, one is narrow. And as Jesus tells his audience in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. As I mentioned, this is near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and the time has come for people to make a decision before they return home, before they get up off that hill and go back to their lives. They're faced with a choice. So Jesus is kind of saying to them, ladies and gentlemen, in light of all that you've heard, of everything that I've just unpacked for you in this long discourse, in light of everything that you have heard, how will you now go and live? And he begins a statement by basically telling them what the right answer is. He emphatically tells them, enter through the narrow gate. That's the answer to the question. That's the answer to the test, he's saying. See, the answer is clear. It's this directive call for all people to enter through the narrow gate, this gate where there, there's a path that has lines down the side. It's, it's got guardrails. It's got signs, caution signs and warning signs to keep you on the path. Now, to some, that sounds rather restrictive. 
To some, it sounds like it's limiting, like it's cramping their style. If, if, if you're claustrophobic, this, this may be a challenging path for you to walk. But, but for others, they look at that and they go, it also offers security. It offers comfort, a sense of certainty. It offers us knowledge that we will safely travel the road and arrive at our destination. See, the Sermon on the Mount, to a great extent, was describing what the journey looked like. If you were to go back a few chapters to, to Matthew chapter 5 and read through, you'd see that Jesus is describing the character of a follower in the Beatitudes, these heart conditions. He talks about what relationships should look like between those who, who are followers of Christ and, and relationship with, with God. How there should be this need for reconciliation amongst one another, a need for integrity, a, a need for love to be defined by people. That there should be a complete inner devotion and commitment to God himself. And that our trust in God would lead us to extend mercy to other people. Now there's a more popular alternative. The more popular alternative is, is that wide gate that, that offers openness. There is room to roam in the other direction. The gate and the road are wide. Wide enough, if you've got a four-by-four, four, you can drive through it and go off-roading down this path. Go where you want. Do what you like. Do whatever feels good. Kind of similar to some of the prevailing ideology we encounter in our world today. If it feels good, just do it. If it's right for you, then just do it. If there's consequences, we'll deal with that in the future. So when I was younger, I had a friend who had a Jeep. Now, it's like one, not, not like a nice Jeep. Like one of these old army Jeeps that actually went through the war, it looked like. And he picked it up cheap. It had no doors. It had no roof. It didn't have any seatbelts. Right? It even had a hole in the floor where the passenger sat. You had to be careful. You'd be Flintstone in it as you <laughs> kind of went along. Right? So you had to be careful where you put your feet. That kind of a Jeep. But you could take that thing anywhere. You could do anything, and it didn't matter because it was already in bad shape. And so you'd be out having fun as you're off-roading, but sometimes a little bit too much speed, a little bit too much of a ridge, and you'd find yourself kind of lifting a little as you, I wouldn't say we got airborne, but as we lifted a bit. And there's that moment where you pause, and you have that Dukes of Hazard kind of break in the show. You're like, are we going to make it? Because you're thinking, I'm not sure this vehicle can handle this. I'm not sure we, in this vehicle, can handle what this vehicle is about to do. You see, Jesus is saying that, that this wide road, while it has freedom to roam, it's hard on the vehicle. It's going to wear it out. There's a good chance that it's going to break. There's a good chance you could become injured on this path. Because this is the road that leads to destruction. And so as we continue to look at this passage and, and what Jesus teaches beyond this initial two verses here, we see that God doesn't buy into this wide gate, broad road philosophy because he has a far better option. He has a far better option that he says leads to new life, to a new life with Jesus Christ. Understanding that, yes, there are a bit of a narrower path to go that direction, but it leads to a far better life with Jesus than the other option. You see, if you have not made a choice to walk through the narrow path, meaning that you have not made that decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are on the wide road. There is no third option. There is no meridian that you can kind of straddle down the middle. But Jesus invites everyone 
to come through the narrow gate and to find life everlasting. But the choice is yours. See, not everybody chooses that path. Not everyone chooses the narrow gate because to walk the narrow road can be hard. There's limitations along the way. And because it can be difficult, Jesus provides guides for us. God has blessed us with people to help guide us and walk with us down those paths. But he cautions us. Because as we go down that path, there are some guides who could actually lead us off the path. He talks about these in verse 15 through 20 where he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Really, this is a bit of a long passage about this topic, but essentially we can take the first and the last sentences, put those together, and we can summarize what Jesus is saying. He's basically saying, watch out for false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. What does it mean by prophet here? The word prophet, the way it's being used here in this case, is basically anyone who is called by God to speak on behalf of God. Now, who may that be in your current life? Uh, probably the first person you would think of is a pastor, somebody like myself who would stand up here and talk about the scriptures and, and help unpack them for people, and, and that's valid. But I want to suggest to you that's not the only understanding, the only description of what is being meant here as the leaders in churches, in our churches and homes, also I suggest to you would fall under this passage. Meaning if you are a life group leader, if you are a Sunday school teacher, if you are a lay leader in this church that has authority over other volunteers, if you are a parent of your home, in all of those situations, you have a high calling, a high responsibility that needs to be taken seriously because you are in a spot to shape the life of another person, in particular the spiritual life of another person. And most leaders are good, God-honoring, trustworthy people. But there are also those out there, as Jesus refers to here, as, as wolves in sheep's clothing. You've probably heard that phrase before. Did you know this is the origin of it? That, that, that phrase, wolf in sheep's clothing, finds its origin actually in the words of Jesus. It comes from this passage, even though it's made its way into contemporary language. And the description here is, is trying to talk about these people who appear innocent, when you first look at them and meet them, they seem harmless and gentle and trustworthy. But the reality is, underneath the surface, they are ferocious wolves. And they exist for the purpose of feeding upon the flock, meaning that they will cause chaos amongst the group of people. That they will drain them of resources. They will empty them of passion. And when they are done and they leave, they will leave the flock wounded and scattered and divided. So you can see the significance, the severity of... of being on guard against such types of leaders, which is why Paul, when he's doing his final address to the leaders in Ephesus, echoes these words of Jesus in Acts 20, where he says, watch out for wolves who will not spare the flock. You see, we need leaders. We need leaders. But we need to be able to trust our leaders. And that can create some tension for some people. 
because I know there are those who have been injured by leaders in the past. And that makes it hard to trust present day, even good, trustworthy leaders, people of authority today. We, we know about these things. We hear about scandals. We hear about people who are focused upon their self-promotion and, and money grabbing and various abuses that have happened in different arenas in the church and outside. I used to work with a lady in Prince George who I once tried to invite to come to church. And she shut me down immediately. Because her husband, when he was a youth, he was injured by one of these church leaders. And the anger, the pain, the fear of God and God's people was so deep within him and had made its way into his wife's life that I could not even finish the question before she would shut me down. This is the reality that exists for many people in our post-Christian world that we live in. Where Christianity in the church has been found tried and left wanting or found tried, had been tried and found injurious to a person. I heard one person once say that when inviting a person to church sometimes is like trying to explain to the child of divorce why they should get married. Because they've experienced it, they think, why would I sign up for that voluntarily? This is some of the reality that exists in the culture around us, which is why for many of our ministries, we intentionally try to reach out into the community to first establish relationship. Through those relationships to establish trust and to say, no, no, this is a safe place. And to establish relevance into a person's life. That's why we do some of the things in the way we do some things around here is to establish first the relationship and then the trust and the relevance into the world around us. Because upon these foundations, we then have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because devoid of relationship, trust, safety, and relevance, devoid of that, the world around us does not hear Jesus' name and think good news. They hear Jesus' name and they think bad news. And we need to change that. Now, at the risk of oversimplifying, Jesus is saying here that as we look at our leaders, there's this examination we can do of our spiritual leaders. And it's really a rather simple concept. It's this idea that you can look at a tree and you can know what type of tree that is by the fruit that it produces. And that's something that we can all do. You know, fruit is a natural product of a tree's nature. Now, I'm no arborist. I, I can't look at a tree and just know by its shape, height, color, and leaf style what type of tree that that is. I, that is not something I can do. And I imagine most people here are in the same category with me like that. And yet recently, with, with the house that we recently purchased, we had to go purchase one tree and four bushes. I have never done that. I, I have no idea where to begin with doing that. But I had to do it to fulfill the landscape requirements of the developer, and they had some money that they were withholding until I went and did that. So I needed a guide. I needed to find a guide to help us figure out how do we get through this challenge, because I don't know a choke cherry from a snowbird hawthorn from a hot wing maple. But we, bought a, we got a hot wing maple. <laughs> I didn't know the difference beforehand, but our guide led us through that. You see, I'm not familiar with trees. I, I, I couldn't do that exercise. But what I am familiar with is fruit. You take me out of Edmonton and you drop me down the Okanagan, I can, I can point out an apple tree. I, I can point out a peach tree, a cherry tree. I can show you a money tree if you have one. Based upon the fruit, that's there. Because I know what an apple looks like. I know what a pear looks like. I, I know what cherries look like. I'm not sure what money looks like, but I could probably figure it out if I saw one. 
But see, he's saying it's not enough just to identify it by its fruit. He's actually suggesting that we actually need to sample the fruit. See, because sometimes fruit can look good and juicy and, and like it's good for eating. But you need to sample it. Like you can pick a peach off a tree and it looks juicy and sweet. But, but then you, you feel it and it's, it's maybe a little, you know what overripe peach feels like? And you probably, maybe a pie, but you're not going to just bite into that necessarily. Or, or if you bite into it and it's kind of hard and woody, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's not right yet. But we need to inspect these things. We need to take the apples down, bite into them. And, and if, you, if you bite in there and you find a worm, you know, there's a problem. You know it's worse than finding a worm in your apple after you bite into it? It's finding half a worm in your apple after you bite into it. <laughs> See, Jesus is saying the same thing can be known about our leaders, that we need to watch them for their fruit. What, what kind of fruit is he talking about here? Uh, well, the late pastor John Stott said there are three categories that we can look at, and we'll really quickly go through these. I think they're self-evident as we see what they are. The one he suggested is character and conduct. When we look at a person, their character and conduct, do we see meekness, gentleness, love, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control? This will make it sound familiar, because those are the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, those sorts of things. You see, if we see these things in their character and conduct, that's evidence that not only does the Spirit of God live within the person, but they're engaged with it, and it's allowing itself to manifest through the person. So that one of the first types of fruit we need to sample is character and conduct. Secondly, he, he recommends that we look at teaching and theology. Is what they teach in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do they proclaim Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world? Do they profess him to be the resurrected Messiah, the only way, truth, and life? And do they call people to surrender their lives to him and to follow the narrow path in that direction? The third one is what sort of influence do they have upon other people? When they're around somebody, when they're around a group of people, do they tend to leave a room with people upset? Do they tend to uh, influence ungodly activity? Do they, do they raise up bitterness and division? If that's the type of fruit that's coming from a person's life, it's a warning flag to be on guard against that person, to definitely not have them in a role of leadership. Conversely, are they a person that guides protects, cares, loves the flock, would put their life on the line for the flock. When they engage in relationships with people there, do they, do they bring together a sense of unity and love and care and mercy and grace and truth amongst the body? This is the type of fruit we want to see happening. Now all leaders need to be examined by this, and that includes me. I consider it an incredible privilege and an honor to serve in this church as your pastor. But I want to be held accountable. I want to be held accountable by God, but also by the flock that I'm called to serve in terms of my character, my teaching, and my influence upon you. I am not perfect. Right, Nadine? Right. I will make mistakes. Right, Nadine? But I desire to continue to grow. To continue to grow, and so I make less of them. Because I know this that if we are going to accomplish the call that Christ has upon this church, in this place, in this time, in the season that is ahead of us, starting this fall, it will only happen if we have a sense of humility, of unity, of trust, 
and of mission. And I pray that that starts with me. Jesus is not saying having leaders is bad. He says, watch out for the bad leaders. And as he calls us along this journey down this narrow road together, he will provide us with leaders to help guide us on this path. And they will guide, they will train, and they will encourage us. There's a final contrast we want to have a look at today that Jesus points out in this passage. You see, we've got two paths, we've got two types of leaders, but there's also two types of followers along the way. See, just as there are true and false teachers, they're also the same as true for disciples. And he says this, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not drive out demons? And in your name did we not perform many miracles? But I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's a hard passage. See, Jesus is very intentionally here drawing a connection between salvation and journeying with him. See, there are people who will go out and perform miracles, who will teach things, who will do good deeds, claiming to know God, and yet they will still be cast out of his presence. How is that possible? Well, to help us understand that, I want to first suggest to you that outward acts, even good, numerous outward acts, is poor evidence of a person standing before God. See, as Paul clearly states in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. This is a gift that comes from God. It is not by our works. Because if it was, we could boast about them all day long. Let's have a quick look back at the first verse we looked at today. Back at verse 13. What does it say there? It says, enter through the narrow gate. Then walk the narrow road. That leads to life. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the truth. Sorry, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Notice the order. The gate comes before the road. And the gate is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Consider this. If the road came before the gate, then then we could live our lives. We we could gather all sorts of good deeds. We could make all sorts of massive donations and collect all sorts of relationships along the way. And then at the end of the journey, at the end of our lives, essentially, we would then come to the gate and it would give us the sense that we could then pay some sort of toll to get to the next phase because the gate comes at the end of the journey and there would be the path and then the gate and then entering into. But the gate comes first. We first need to come to Jesus and then we need to journey down the road with Jesus. You see, serving and obeying him is not the means of our salvation. First comes the gate Serving and obeying him is the response of us being set free. 
and walking with him down that road towards life. Let me try and summarize it for you in one question. Do you know Jesus, but also does he know you? Let me explain what I mean by this. Imagine the scene in the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus is on this hill delivering this message, he was one man speaking to a multitude, similar to what I'm doing now, although he was a lot better at it and he had a bigger crowd. But still, one man speaking to a multitude. Now, all of you could very easily find out who I am. Pastor Mark Dixon. You know me from before. You could look it up on the website. You could ask somebody beside you. All of you can know who I am. Unfortunately, I do not know all of you. I know some of you very, very well. I know some of you as acquaintances. We haven't had a chance to go much beyond that. And some of you I I don't know very well at all. Therefore, within this room, there's a range of relationships between us. From knowing very well to essentially not at all. The same scenario existed for Jesus at that moment. And so before he is done, he calls all people. He invites all people to come to know him. To come to get to know him so that they can know him and he can know them. His desire is for all people to come and experience him. To walk through his gate. To be transformed by him. To enter into a relationship together. Now some people who sat on the hill that day, they stood up. They walked back home and they continued on the adventure of their lives the way it was beforehand on the wide road. Others stood up when he was finished, intrigued, really, really curious, really liking what they heard, but thinking, man, you know, one day that would be a great thing to do. One day I'm going to carve out time and space in my life and maybe I'll come back and I'll introduce myself and I'll get to know him in a more personal way at that point. You see, those people have been around Jesus but they had not really met Jesus yet. They had not entered into a relationship of any significant value at that time. They simply knew his face and his name, but no relationship. But then there were those. There were some who would have chosen to respond to the invitation to a new adventure, to enter through the narrow gate, to enter into a relationship with him, and to be transformed by his presence in their lives. And from that moment on, they would never be the same again. Because they would now be in Christ and they would be in the family and the kingdom of God. See, Jesus has invited us to choose the adventure that we're going to have in our journey with him. If you have not yet walked through that gate, if you have not yet received him, you need to do it today. Don't walk away intrigued. Don't walk away thinking someday in the future I'll make room. Someday I'll carve out time and I'll carve out some space and I'll do it then. If it's good enough for tomorrow, it's good enough for today. If it is good enough for our kids, it is good enough for us. You see, Jesus Christ came to to live, to teach, and to give his life so at the end he could pay the price for the sins that all of us have committed that none of us were able to pay on our own and that caused separation between us and God. And yet he paid the price for those sins. He put himself to death and then rose victoriously, defeating sin, death, and the grave and offering life to all people. And if a person will accept the truth of that reality, 
will believe it in their hearts and will confess it with their mouths that Jesus is Lord, that they need him, that they are lost without him, and that they want to continue walking that path with him from this day forward. If they will thank him for that offering, we're told in Romans that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will walk through that gate and down that path with him to life. Life with Jesus. If that is something you need to do today, in light of all that you've heard, there'll be people at the front here who can pray with you following the service. Come and talk to myself following the service. Get in contact with a pastor. If you want to learn more about that, you're not quite ready to say that today, but you want to take a step of action today and learn more about that today, sign up for Alpha today. And let's continue that journey towards Christ together. Maybe you have made that confession in the past. You you, you do believe in Jesus. You have made that profession of faith that he is the Lord and Savior of your life. You have entered through that narrow gate. But if you're honest with yourself, once you cross over the gate, you're like, whew, I'm in. And you sat down. And you really haven't journeyed very far down that path. If that's the case... If you're honest with yourself that you haven't really learned enough or applied very much of his teachings to your life, if you're not sure how far you've journeyed down that road, again, we are here to help you, to guide you, to comfort you, to encourage you down that path as you walk. That's why we have our ministry staff. That's why we have our ministry guides available. That's why we have a kiosk in the foyer to answer your questions, to help you get connected in ways that will help you with that. One of the best ways is through our group ministries through our life groups where people come together to authentically, regularly connect their lives with one another to serve and to grow Jesus. We have our serve groups where you can put your talents. We talked about talents last week. You can put those to use in the name of Jesus and in service for him with other people. We have our fusion groups, which I'm super excited about this year. Fusion, what does the word fusion mean? Fusion is the act of joining two things together to become one. One of our core values is encountering Jesus where we weave Jesus into our story till people see him through us. Fusion groups are all about Jesus interacting in our stories till he is seen through us. And so we have these fusion groups like Alpha, like Baptism, like Membership. There's a a pastor's Bible study I'll be leading starting in early October that you'll hear more about. And there's more coming to see how can I journey down this path so that we can come alongside you and help you to grow into the image of Christ. That is why we do what we do, so we can grow into the image of Christ. The ultimate adventure is found in him. He is calling to you to enter into this year and to find new life like never before in him. To understand that there's a deeper way to live, and that's life with Jesus. The choice is yours. And so as you consider the choice that you have to choose your own adventure for this fall and for the year ahead, I want to invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have brought us through this wonderful summer. Even though the weather wasn't great, we had great times with people and times of rest. And as we now find ourselves with with new school seasons and the return of responsibilities, we also find ourselves with new opportunity to grow deeper in our relationships with you. God, I pray any people who are here who have not walked through that narrow gate, who have not said yes, thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for my sins. I pray today, Lord, that they would make that confession in their heart, that they would come and speak with myself or one of the prayer people here after the service to 
to affirm that decision, to start walking with you. For those of us, Lord, who, who need to continue, all of us that need to continue walking that path with you, Lord, may we find a place within the ministries of this church where we can connect with other people, where we can connect in a deeper sense with you, where we can serve, where we can grow, be challenged, held accountable, uplifted and affirmed within the ministries of this church. That, Jesus, that we would not be found to be those who don't walk through the gate, that we'd be not we would not be found to be those who do not walk the path with you, but that we would be found to be those who would say, Lord, Lord, and that you would welcome us in your presence and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice you made for us, but also thank you that you continue to walk with us every day of our lives, every season we find ourselves in. And to you alone do we pray and give all praise and glory. Amen.